Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Over the last two years, so many of us have missed going to our favorite museums. I love to wander the halls of my local museum for inspiration, learning opportunities, and, let's face it, entertainment. Museums are so much more than buildings that function as spaces for art storage and display. They're important institutions that preserve our heritage, educate the public, and celebrate the importance of our art in our culture. Today, we'll be talking about quilt museums in specific with our guest, Carolyn Ducey, who's curator of collections at the International Quilt Museum in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome to the Quilting Arts Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of contemporary art quilting. I'm Vivica Hansen-Denegri, and I'm here with my co-host, Susan Brubaker-Knapp. Hey there, Susan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. It's a gorgeous sunny day here in early October in Connecticut, and I'm just enjoying my favorite season. Yes, and we're getting some relief from the heat here too. And I've been busy in my studio working on more pieces and also getting ready for this open studios tour that I'm participating in in November. So that's posing lots of interesting challenges kind of along the business of art lines where I'm trying to get signs and bookmarks and marketing materials and figuring out how I'm going to set up my studio in my house. Are you enjoying that? You know, sometimes that business side of it, the getting things like that together, the organizing and all of that is a little bit hard for us, those of us who sort of really love the creative side. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's nice to have a change of pace. And I know it's important. Um, one thing I'm working on, especially hard right now, that's a little bit tedious is I've got to do an inventory book. So I had one that I did and I realized I only had it up to 2010. So I have a lot of years. Um, 11 been, years, Susan, 11 years worth of inventory. I've been busy since then making lots of work. So I've got to get it all. It's a book that I'm going to put out during the open studios because I started realizing I've got like 200 quilts and there's no way I can display even 20 of them probably in my space. So I wanted to be able to put my portfolio books or inventory books out on the table and maybe people can leaf through and they might say, oh, I love that one. And then I could just go into my storage area and get it. You have all 200 of those that you haven't sold, I would think. Well, basically organized enough? Uh, they're by size and I know what size I'd be looking for. And I think I can find them fairly quickly. And a lot of the bigger ones are rolled. So I think I can do that. It's just, I, you know, I realized that it's so important to keep track of what you've made, the size, if it's been purchased, the year you made it, all those things. And mm -hmm. this is a good way to document all of that and to use it for a practical purpose. But I have a lot of work I haven't sold because I was teaching for 15 years and I needed to be able to take a lot of those pieces as samples, either for the class we were doing or as samples of the technique. So when I would travel to teach whole cloth painting, I would take, you know, 30 whole cloth painted quilts with me. And now I kind of feel like I'm ready to let go of some of them. Yeah. So there's a lot more stuff for sale, but it's, it is interesting. And it, 
it kind of goes along with what we're going to be talking about today with Carolyn, and that is how you store things, how you document things, how you dis- make the decisions about what to let go and what to hold on to. Like for my family collection, you know, the pieces that I think the kids are going to want, for example. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of those same issues on a more personal kind of level than I what I imagine a curator manages for a museum. Right. Well, I, at one point, I really tried to document everything. And I was probably sort of like you. I think mine stopped in 2009. And I made a lot of small pieces. So small is so much easier than large. You know, right. let's face it. It's not just the size. It's It's also, you know, I could keep it like I thought I could keep it in my head. And I can't, I can't keep track of, you know, more than probably I have 10 fingers. So more than 10 things I would think I probably can't keep track of. And um, it's really, really good to write everything down. And now that, you know, it's so easy to put a, a an Excel spreadsheet together, that at least we can make a little bit more accessible. They used yeah. to have programs though, where you'd document your work. Yeah, there are. I looked online and I found that there were quite a few programs. I didn't look into them and how expensive they were, how difficult or easy they were to use. But something I can see where something like that might make a lot of sense, especially if you're sending out a lot of work to exhibitions and you don't want to have overlap issues where you say something is available and it's not available and you're in really big trouble. Right, right. Yeah. So do you also um, document the artwork that you purchase? I'm curious. No, I have not. That's an interesting thought. Well, I'm going to have to start doing that because I actually just bought a quilt today. Did you buy it from Sakwa, the Sakwa? I did. I did. Auction? And I'm Yay. so excited. It's called Christmas Fern. <laughs> you bought <laughs> I it. Did. I Thank bought you. it. I'm so excited. It's Thank your you work, so Susan. Thank you so much. Um, so it, you had posted something about it and I fell in love with it and I was looking at it and my husband came by. And he saw the computer. He's like, I really like that. So don't tell Gerard, but he's getting it for his birthday. Oh, I'm doubly honored then. Thank you so much. And it's really nice. I bought bought one too in in the first batch. And um, it's nice to be able to buy it and get something fabulous and support Sakwa. Exactly. Exactly. So I sort of look at it both ways. I'm supporting Sakwa. And I didn't make one this year. I didn't make one last year either. But um, I thought I can buy one. I'm going to buy one. Yeah, exactly what buying, I want. Buying is just as much support, if not more, exactly, than, than making exactly. a piece. So, yeah. so a lot of fun. I just thought I'd sort of surprise you with that Thank today. You. But made that my was, day. Oh, I'm I'm so excited. I bought it an hour ago, and now I'm like, when am I going to get it? <laughs> <laughs> I think they be, ship fairly fast, so you'll probably get it in a couple of weeks. I probably will, but that'll be my first entry on my quilt collection list. So smart. Yes, yes. Well, as we're talking about collections and the business of art and all of that, why don't we bring in our artist-in-residence, Carolyn Ducey. Let me introduce you to today's artist-in-residence, Carolyn Ducey. Carolyn is curator of collections at the International Quilt Museum at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The museum houses the largest publicly held quilt collection in the world, dating from the 1600s to the present and representing more than 60 countries. Carolyn oversees new acquisitions and ongoing care of the museum's collection. She's curated many exhibitions and is the author of several books and research papers on American quilts. So welcome, Carolyn. We're thrilled to have you with us today. 
Yeah, we're so happy to have you here, Carolyn. Just thrilled that you could join us on this podcast and tell us a little bit about what you do. So one of the most fascinating things I think for me as a quilter and someone who loves to go to art museums is to know exactly what a curator does. Can you tell us? Oh, you guys, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, it is interesting when you talk about uh, what a curator does, because I would imagine it's a little different at every museum. We're a small staff here at the International Quilt Museum, so we do a lot of everything here. But my two major roles are to oversee the care of the collection and to build the collection, and then also to do exhibitions, which involves not just doing some research on them, but actually um, doing helping with the actual formation of the exhibition and the materials that we include in it. That's a big job. That's a very big job. <laughs> Let's say I'm never bored. I'm never bored and I never have the same day twice, which I do love, but uh, we keep a pretty hectic exhibition schedule, I will say. So we keep busy. Yeah. You know, um, Susan, I don't know, have you been to this museum before? I have not. It is on my bucket list. It should and be I, on everyone's bucket list. It what? And not only an amazing collection of quilts, but first of all, just from the outside, it's a it's a gorgeous building. It's located in Lincoln, Nebraska, on the uh, right on the campus, isn't it, Carolyn? Right yes. on the campus of the University of Nebraska Lincoln. It is beautiful. It is so interesting. Tell us a little bit about the building. Well, the building is really fascinating. Um, we had a contest when we decided to build a museum. The winner was Robert A.M. Stern out of New York City. And I think what everybody loved about his design is he literally created a building that's a metaphor for quilts in so many ways. So we have a beautiful glass front that has kind of a metal running through it in shapes that look like pattern you would see on a patchwork quilt. You come in the building, our brickwork, our floor work is all like quilt patches. The reception hall on the second floor is shaped in the eye of a needle. Mm -hmm. um, it just goes on and on like this. Even our garden outside is done in a quilting pattern. So the, the building itself is really a fascinating visit, not to mention all the artwork we have in it. Can you tell us a little bit about history of the museum? As I understand it, it started with a large collection of, of some people who are native Nebraskans. Yes. And that was actually before we had a building, a museum, technically. We were a quilt study center at that point. We were founded in 1997 with the gift of almost a thousand quilts from Robert and artist James, who both were Nebraskans. Bob was from a, a little town in the middle of the state called Ord, Nebraska, and artists lived both in Omaha and here in Lincoln. And they had built a collection as a study collection. So not just what they loved, and they really did love all quilts, but they really built it to embrace all of the types and genres and time periods of Ameri American quilt making. And they had begun to kind of expand into more international quilts, particularly with the art quilts. But that is something we've really built on. Our museum was actually built in 2008. So our first 10 years, we had what we called our bullpen office. <laughs> we didn't have any exhibition space. We, we used every museum on campus would give us space and we would come up with an exhibition that related to their specialty, whether it was natural history or the Sheldon Art Museum. But our storage was becoming a real problem. 
And I always just felt like Bob James and I would have this conversation often because his passion was building the collection, not building the building. But I kept saying, Bob, we have the most amazing collection. We need a space that reflects it and we need to show it off. Eventually, the Jameses came around and they they um, donated half the cost of our original building. Mm-hmm. And just a couple years, I, literally, we had just gotten settled in our new space. And Bob said, "We, you know, I'm getting to an age. I want to support an expansion. I want to make sure you guys are set up for the future." So we expanded in 2012 and opened that in 2013. So we doubled our storage space and doubled our exhibition space then. So. So how many quilts do you have now? Well, I can't give you an exact total because last week we had about 600 come in. Um, oh. But, um, <laughs> oh. uh, we are, we are a, probably about 65, 6,800 quilts. Wow. We have really expanded. Um, last week, the Joanna Rose collection of red and white quilts that were shown at Infinite Variety Show in New York City in 2011 were given to us. So that's about a year's worth of quilts coming in in one day. So we, we're feeling a little overwhelmed right now, but really excited. What an amazing gift. I mean, actually, what a series of amazing gifts to have the James family, first of all, make the donation of the quilts. Second of all, endow it to a certain extent by giving you a beautiful building in addition, and then to have more quilts come in like that, that just must be incredible. And I'm sure whoever has to unwrap them, measure them, inspect them, log them in, it probably is giving a whole lot of people a whole lot of work right now. (laughs) (laughs) I keep telling my um, collections team that, you know, we're not in a rush. We don't have to worry about this. We know that it's a process. But yes, we have had our three biggest years in the last three years. And the pandemic really didn't slow us down. In fact, it's kind of sped things up because so many people are at home thinking, I'm going to clean that closet out. I'm going to finally mm. focus on this you know, quilt that needs to find a home. So we've really expanded. So now we're kind of we're going to take a little time, stop and catch our breath and kind of reevaluate we are, especially with traditional quilts, because what we're seeing in donation offers are very duplicative. So we, we don't need too many of any one particular type. And so we're just trying to kind of catch our breath, see where we're at. We are going to have to, in the next few years, just decide where our ceiling is at because we will run out of storage eventually. Um, we, we're in good shape now, but we, mm-hmm. like I said, especially with the traditional quilts, that's something that just really needs to slow down for us now. Um, so. Unfortunately, that means we turned down, gosh, this week, and it's funny how this happened. It always comes in clumps. I don't know what's going on this week, but we're probably getting four or five donation offers a day, and we're turning down 90% of those. So it's funny you should say that because I was invited over to my neighbor's house last week, and she showed me a beautiful traditional quilt, and she said, I want to donate this to a museum, and all I could think is wow, it's first of all, it's very beautiful, but I've seen this quilt before so many times. How do you make that decision? And what are you looking for basically with a donation? Because I'm sure the quilt is just part of it. It has to be stored, cleaned, et cetera. And it probably costs the museum money to actually accept a donation, I would think. 
You know, it's that's exactly right. We have to consider a lot of different factors. So we're looking at, first of all, we're looking at, do we have something like it? Because as you say, you see a lot of patterns and we're in the Midwest where we get a lot of donation offers from. We see the same, you know, I, I love it because women followed fashion. They followed trends. <laughs> they did all the way back in the early 1800s, much less today. So you do see a lot of the same types of quilts being made in specific eras. So we are going to look at this, the duplication. We're going to look at whether it is in good shape or not, whether it's clean. I mean, we, we don't always concern ourselves with that if it's a really rare quilt. But typically, we want to see, are we going to have to invest a lot of money into supporting it by getting a restoration work or, you know, whatever it needs? Maybe it needs a washing. We don't do that here. We send even that out to a conservator. So we're paying for that. So all those are consideration. It costs us about $125 for the first year of a quilt's life here. And then there's that cost because of the temperature and humidity controls we have. So we're looking at all of those kind of things. And we're trying to just make sure that the collection is really well balanced. We're an encyclopedic collection. So we do want something of everything. What's most important, of course, is what we know about the quilt. Do we know who made it, where, when? If a quilt comes in and we have one already, but we know nothing about it, another one comes in with great information, it may move that one out and move a new one in. So it's a constant balance of all those factors. Now, what about, let's turn the conversation a little bit to art quilts. So do you have people who are making contemporary quilts and especially art quilts who contact you and say, hey, would you like my quilt for your collection? And how do you go about choosing those quilts? And what percentage of the collection is older quilts and newer quilts? You know, I don't know exactly what our percentages are now, but we were probably earlier on, I would say we were maybe a one quarter of our quilts, but that has something um, that have really changed since we felt like we had a good basis for the traditional quilts. We use our limited funds, particularly for studio quilts and international quilts. We don't need many quilts. We get offered so many traditional quilts, we don't need to be buying those. The studio quilts, it's actually easier for me if artists let us come to them and we ask them, um, if someone offers to donate a quilt, you know, it can be the best thing ever and it can be the by far the difficult because in that case, we're going to look at somebody's resume. We're going to look at where they've shown quilts. Um, we're going to look at how their work has developed over time. We're going to really look for things like originality and, and that elusive voice that everyone talks about. But, and, and that is something that you see over a, you know, a person's not lifetime of work, but you see that over multiple pieces. And so we're very particular about that. And we want our collection to be the best we can, the top notch. Now, I will say that that is not a decision that I make. We have two different committees that weigh in on those. We have one particularly for studio art, art quilts, and I rely on them heavily. In fact, we're meeting tomorrow, and they keep me updated with names that they think should be on a list that we should be considering. That list is five pages, single space long in <laughs> some cases. Um, and that's where I have to go to them and say, you all need to help me prioritize. What's What do we need? To, what do we need to have? Because obviously we cannot afford to acquire all those pieces, much less, again, thinking we have to be thinking about space. So um, if someone offers a donation and they haven't established a record of sales or exhibitions, or they're just kind of starting out, 
it might just be too soon for them to be offering a quilt to us. And so those are really tough because in any situation when someone offers a quilt to you, it is a gift from the heart. And saying no to someone is can really be devastating. So you have to be very um, considerate. We always try to give people a next step, like might be a better fit here or here. Give them something to go with. And people are generally very understanding of that once they uh, they have had, you've had that opportunity to kind of educate them that here's what we're looking for, here's what we, then it, you know. So it's always... It's always a challenge. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I wanted to ask you, I know that you've, or the museum has recently established a collection of modern quilts, uh, the Modern Quilt Guild Collection, I think it's called. Why did you think it was important or feel it was important to document and preserve the modern quilts? And I always have a two-part question. Does that include art quilts or are you kind of putting them in a separate category from the modern quilts? Well, we kind of have actually separated that out into the modern quilt guild collection is the quilts that typically you'll see at QuiltCon. Okay. There are other modern artists that are working that are studio artists that are working. We tend to put things in categories because it simplifies how we, like you were talking about all your record keeping, <laughs> that simplifies our record keeping. But we were really fortunate to be able to write a grant and get financial support to develop a collection that is representing what's happening today. And that's really important for us. And so we wanted to do that. Two years ago, we did the Quilt National collection and we went back and got as many of the winning quilts from Quilt National as we could get our get a hold of. I mean, some of those 40 years ago, you just can't even find. But it really was a great way in a very succinct way with a lot of a, you know, just a a nice, neat package to represent what's been happening, say, in quilting over the last 40 years. The Modern Quilt Guild is what's been happening over the last, you know, basically 10 years. But it's such a force that we try to kind of get ahead of those things so that we're not behind the eight ball and, and, and trying to acquire those. But not only do we do that, one of the areas I'm really focusing on now is what we call the contemporary quilter. So that's looking at people who are more in a, in a traditional mode, they're not necessarily making art quilts. Again, these lines are very blurry, but mm-hmm. it's just a way to help me say, okay, the person has been teaching. Like I would say Marianne Fonz and Liz Porter fall in the contemporary um, world. because They were making quilts and teaching quilting and having a huge influence on types of quilts that were being made, books, products, everything. So we're also looking at that person. So we're really just, you know, those will be the traditional quilts in a hundred years. So we, we need to find mm-hmm. them now. So as Bob James likes to say, we try to do everything, which is really overwhelming. It must be really hard to be all things to all quilters. Yes. You know, but that the contemporary part I find really fascinating too, though, because as you said, Marianne Fonz and Liz Porter, they had such a huge influence, not only on the kind of quilts that were being made, but the the color stories that people were choosing on quilt tools on obviously on publications and love of quilting magazine is still 
out there and it's still one of the most popular magazines that they started, I want to say 25 years ago. They had a TV show in the whole the whole nine yards. They, those two women made such an impact on the quilting world. And we even if you don't think that they influenced your work, they influenced your work. You know? Exactly. You know, so even that's if you incredible. Don't, yeah. It's the five degrees of separation kind of thing. They they are rock stars. They are quilt rock stars. And they still doubt. are. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> Is yeah, there that's... a way for people, and I'm thinking about our listeners, but for anybody who's interested in quilts, to see a lot of quilts in your collection virtually, like on, oh, on your um, through your website? And we, how does that work? We post every quilt in the collection on the website. Eventually, wow. um, we are always a little bit behind in photography. Um, we do that in-house, but eventually every quilt gets posted. So you go to our website, uh, which is internationalquiltmuseum.org. Go to collections and you'll see a search button and you can go in and you can uh, just hit the button and say, see all, or you can search by a particular quilter's name, a date, a pattern. There's a lot of drop-down menus that give you options. A lot of people really find that great fun. And it's one of the ways that we get a lot of scholars visiting us mm. because we try to really maintain that that goal that the Jameses had as a study collection. So we want people to come and we want them to use the collection. And we're kind of a one-stop shop for most types of quilts that someone's looking for. So we get a lot of scholars. Some come for a month, some come for a week, some come to see one particular quilt. But that's what's exciting is watching the knowledge that we have about develop by the way people use our collection. Well, when I visited the museum with the Sakwa group several years ago, I, I was so blown away. I mean, it was it was one of those things. I was taken on a tour with a number of other Sakwa members, and we were taken into the back room for the storage so we could see how the quilts were stored, folded, many of them laid flat. I felt like I was in, in a room with one of the most precious collection of like jewels, truly pulling out a drawer and seeing there was this one quilt that actually Jenny Lyon, who's a tremendous quilter, actually machine quilter, was there with me and we pulled it out. And I swear the gasp that she made when they pulled out the drawer and she could see this quilt took all of the oxygen out of the entire room. <laughs> and because not only her, but we were all just flabbergasted with the beauty of the quilts. So you know, it's it's really incredible the storage that you have to have for more than 6,000 quilts. I can't even imagine. I bet if you asked Susan to go in there and find her own quilt, she wouldn't be able to pull it out like she'd be able to for her, <laughs> her show next week. There's an advantage to a numbering system. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm organized at home, but um, I will, you know, as an artist, I think what we find, especially like say an artist who's established themselves, decides they're going to give a collection as they're getting to the point where they, they want to house things or they want to give their archives. When they start going like, oh, I don't remember when I made that. I don't know when I, you know, those details get lost really easily. And then they try to go back and retrace that. And it's really difficult to do. And I would say, figure out what way is just easy for you, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet online, or whether it's a notebook that you, you know, if you're not a computer person, just write down, but write down, you know, what you called that quilt, when it was made, great to know why you're inspired to make a certain quilt. We all, people always want to know the stories of the quilt. So jotting down a few things that, you know, are going to jog your memory later, really important to do. And as an artist, really need to think of that, what they call your oeuvre, 
You know, your body of work is what you are, what tells your story. It's really important to keep a clear record of that for yourself, but for the future when you do become a museum quilter and you've got your pieces, we want to know everything about your work. We want to see your drawings. We want to see the archival materials. We want to see all of that. So it's, it's that full picture. You know, even if you aren't in a museum, it's important for your, your descendants. They want to know those stories too. I wish I could talk to my great grandmother about the two pink and white quilts she made um, in the 1930s and find out what was going on in her life, what she was thinking about, why she made them. It's just as important for the people we love and that are going to have those quilts going forward as it is for a museum. Absolutely. It is. It's just so important. And you're never going to be sorry that you wrote that information down. Because like Vivica said, I think, oh, I, I think, you know, I'll remember this tomorrow. I don't even remember what I'm supposed to do at work tomorrow. So <laughs> I, I don't count on my memory anymore. That's for sure. Carolyn, did you, did you ever think about the one that got away? Was there ever a quilt that you really wanted to get for the collection mm -hmm. that you weren't able to obtain? You know, there is one. It was a, a really important historical quilt. And I think it went it went to one of the major museums. Um, it was up at auction. We we had we just can never go to the extremes when we get to that situation. But it had historic images. I think it was in Julie Silver's book, Hearts and Hands. It had an image of a woman testifying about women's rights in the nineteen hundreds. There was something that was so unique about that one. And I, I just feel like if I'd tried a little harder, maybe we'd gotten that one. So that one I think about. But, you know, Bob James, I, I used to say, oh, I'm really sorry we didn't get that quote. And he's like, well, you know, first of all, there's plenty out there. And watch, it'll circle back around. And he was right. Some of these quilts have circled back around and mm -hmm. you get another chance. And mm -hmm. these days I feel kind of more like, you know, there are enough quilts out there for a hundred quilt museums and it's a shame we don't have a hundred quilt museums out there. So I don't, I don't feel like we have to get a particular one quilt. I will say there are artists that if we don't have a quilt, there's that weighs on me. And if we've missed someone, Yvonne Porcella, we, you know, I'm working with family hoping that they still have a piece that they'd be willing to give. She's gone now. And mm -hmm. so those gaps in our collection are what, what weighs on my mind. Yeah. Do you ever talk to the people that you know, maybe that purchased a piece, like maybe with Yvonne's, you know, maybe some of her friends have a piece and at their deaths, they would bequeath it to the museum? You know, um, that is such a great idea. And with Quilt National, we definitely did that. So people knew and if they had a record bought their quilt, then we would mm. follow up and just say, hey, you know, if you ever think that it's something you, you know, you don't need or your family doesn't care for it like you do. We'd be interested just to get that information out. But a lot of times we don't know who has those quilts. And it, and especially with family, if you don't have it written down, your family's certainly not going to know that. So it's hard to track them. But it is interesting. Random quilts keep showing up at auctions. A Michael James quilt showed up a few years back at a, an auction. Um, I looked at it and I recognized it was one of his early strip piece quilts. I recognized it right away. They had it upside down on the uh, oh. auction side, uh, which was hard because his signature was on it in the corner. Anyway, so they do kind of come around. Yeah, so you're part detective too. That you can add that to your job description. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
I wonder how the influence of having quilts in mainstream museums is changing how quilts are being looked at by the mainstream art world. You know, that's a tough question because I think that there, what I'm enthused about is seeing how many artists who are outside the, the textile world, for example, like um, I was at Sanford Biggers today as an example. I was too. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's in the environment today. Mm-hmm. Someone like that bringing quilts into the mainstream world, I think is huge because that's what we need is people to become more aware. Um, what we find with our visitors and with other museum goers that come to visit they just don't even have an idea of what a quilt can be now and what mm-hmm. people are producing now. So they come in with an, a kind of this imagination, you know, this thought that, oh, I'm going to see quilts like my grandmother made. And we definitely have those and we love them. But then we'll have, a, we, we try to always do a, a traditional, an international, a studio art quilt show. So when you take them from the traditional into the studio quilt show, they kind of go, oh, oh. I didn't know this kind of thing was even happening. So I think it's that constant education that needs to be done. And every time a show gets into a mainstream museum where people who are not going for, maybe they're not going for the quilt show, but they're going to the museum and they happen upon it. Every time we can get another person to see a quilt and see something different and, and have that reaction is hugely important. And I do think it's happening more and more. And I think we're seeing a real trend, a lot of really young artists that are using quilts in really interesting ways. So I think it's happening and and it's an exciting time to be involved with quilts, especially that transition. It sure is. It sure is. I'm looking forward to there's going to be an exhibit in Boston at the Fine Arts Museum, I think starting now. Actually, I think it is. Yeah, it's uh, the fabric of the nation. Yes, yes, yes. I'm actually taking a day off to go to it because, you know, I think that we all need to get out and get into a museum. I don't know about you, Susan, but <laughs> I wish like I could dying. come up and go with you. You oh. could. You could. Okay. I have no children we'll at home. I have no kids at home. I have two empty bedrooms. <laughs> okay, we'll talk. <laughs> we'll talk later. Yes. I One more question I wanted to ask you is when you curate exhibitions at the museum, how do you choose the topics? Are they proposed by artists or do they come from you? And what are your goals? Is it to document things or to draw visitors in or just to give the museum kind of a refresh to show new stuff? You know, it's kind of all of those things, but it it kind of depends because like a traditional show, you're doing a lot of research. You want to tell people about how that quilt fits in with time, what was happening in the world and how people like, how quilters reflected that. We are just taking down our 9-11 exhibition, which was um, that we uh, folded into a larger memorial show. So we had COVID quilts. We had missing and indigenous women quilts from Susan Hudson. We had a quilt from the Darn Studio that was talking about gun violence. Um, We just really wanted to we wanted to honor the 20th anniversary of 9-11. That, we, uh, that was really important for us. And we have a beautiful piece that was very much kind of like the AIDS quilt, a block for each individual who was, was killed during the attack. But we realized this year that seemed a little short-sighted to not include more of the social issues that were happening. So that was just more of a, a reflection of us today as human beings. And um, my colleague, Jonathan Gregory, worked on that show and just did such a heartfelt examination of why 
how quilts were reflecting what was on people's minds, what was really important to them. So that was just a, I was kind of like an emotional research almost, you could say, I guess. Mm. We like to, um, we're opening a show of Terry Mangott's work. You know, Terry has been in the quilt world for a long time. And we said, gosh, we would love to see what she's doing now. She's got a brand new body of work that we're showing, along with a couple of her traditional fireworks. So it can be all kinds of uh, different combinations. And we do get a lot of opportunities. People send us proposals for exhibitions. They go to our exhibitions committee. Again, we have a group of people who say this is really interesting, or maybe these two artists could be shown together. We never have enough space. We never have enough time. And so that's our biggest challenge is to really try to take advantage of all the opportunities we get. Well, it's an incredible opportunity for anybody to go to your museum to browse the wonderful catalog online to learn all the, about all of the international quilts that you have too, which are tremendous, and to just absorb just how deep and incredibly beautiful quilts can be and incredibly moving and politically charged, etc. You know, art is a reflection of our time. And I'm so appreciative that we have the International Quilt Museum and you working there and promoting the quilt is art. So thank you so much for everything that you do, Carolyn. It's it's tremendous. Thank you so much, Vivica. It's just, it's an honor and a thrill. And um, we like to consider ourselves custodians of this knowledge and these pieces. And I love the fact that in a hundred years, some, you know, um, somebody's going to come in and learn a new story about a quilt. And that that's a, a, an amazing, it's a gift to be able to work in that environment. Great. Well, thank you so much for being our artist in residence today, Carolyn. You're an amazing, great cheerleader, great board member for SACWA and a wonderful person to know and to work with professionally. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I've learned so much today and I'm really excited and eager to get there. Eventually I'll get there. Uh, we'll count on that. You guys come and let me know and we'll do the behind the scenes Ooh, fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> You're Thank on. you so much for inviting me today. Thank you. Thanks. So Susan, aren't you glad you actually started doing all of your paperwork now that you've heard what needs to be done? Yes. Yes. I'm very glad I did that. And uh, gosh, there was, there's just like 25 more questions I wanted to ask her. Really interesting depth of things that she does and um, makes me even more eager to visit that facility. I know. Well, I'll tell you, not only is the building beautiful, but it just shows the quilts so very well. The ex exhibition that I saw was the Luke Haynes Log Cabin Quilt Exhibition. Oh, yeah, fun. And it was, but it was just spectacular the way the quilts were displayed because they weren't displayed flat on the wall. There was only one quilt that was on the wall. Everything else was, was draped over, huh. almost over... Uh, staging bars. So it was, it oh, was really, really interesting. You could go underneath the quilts, etc. So they're very, very creative with how, how they show quilts. And uh, that was actually part of the way that his quilts were meant to be shown. They weren't meant to be shown flat. But then there are just so many wonderful things that this museum has. But it also just, it reinforces the fact that Artists to be experienced and to be seen up close and to be examined and like brought into our lives. And I just love that quilts can be seen as art, but also can be used 
as mm-hmm. functional items too. And it was so exciting to hear about the modern quilt acquisition that they've recently had at the museum. They, they're they just incredible because they're recognizing the movers and the shakers of right now in our contemporary quilt world. And they're preserving those quilts forever, which I just think is incredible. Yeah. And I, I know that when I go to a museum, no matter what kind of museum it is, I always... S- they see something that sparks something in my brain that changes the way I think about things or the way that I make my art. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when we had Jill Curdola on Quilting Arts TV? And she was talking about, and actually I can't even remember if it was during the taping that she was talking about this, but it could have been during our lunchtime. Uh-huh. She talked about how to look at art and how to yes. go to a museum and to not just look at all of the impressionist paintings, but to choose one thing that you look at in that art and to sort of just go with one thing in mind. Like I'm going to look at how eyes are depicted in all different kinds of art. So you would only really focus on the eyes. And I guess that's really great when you have a great museum close by that you can go to multiple times. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm really looking forward to get getting back at the museum so I can do that kind of an exercise. Yeah. I remember when I went to Germany a couple of years ago with my daughter, and we went into a fabulous museum, and I don't remember which one, in Munich, and I just looked for renditions of fabric. Mm. So I went around and took pictures of tablecloths and, you know, what people were wearing and lace, and it was so much fun to do that, and I took photos of them. And when you get up close to a painting and see how it's made to look like fabric, and then you mm-hmm. then you see the juxtaposition of seeing a quilt that is trying to look like a painting. I, I yeah. find it, yeah. it, it can be really interesting. Really, mm-hmm. really interesting. So Susan, do you have a quote for us this week by chance? I do. I do. This is a quote by Susanna Kearsley, who's a Canadian novelist, but she's also a former museum curator. She says... History is shaped by the people who seek to preserve it. We of the present decide what to keep, what to put on display, what to put into storage, and what to discard. And that quote made me think a little bit about Hamilton, you know, who tells your story. Mm -hmm. And I also made me think a little bit about Van Gogh. I think we may have discussed this before. One of the things I came away from the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam knowing that I did not know before was the important role that his sister-in-law played in making sure that his art got sold and was perceived as being great. And without her, Theo's, his brother's wife, we might not ever know the name Van Gogh. And how important it is that we know that name Mm -hmm. and how it's touched all of us. Well, quilts are the same way, you know? Carolyn's making sure that the quilts of today and the quilts of yesterday and the quilts, international pieces, et cetera, are being preserved and will be known for hundreds of years to come, hopefully. Yes. And as I said before, even if your quilt doesn't ever get into a museum, make sure you document it and share that information with your descendants or the people who end up buying your quilt or getting your quilt somehow, because they're going to cherish it even more if they know more about it. Wise words, Susan. Take care. You too. And thank you for listening to the Quilting Arts Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. 
This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Our show notes with images, links, and descriptions, and more are all available on quiltingdaily.com. Our producer today is Daisha Clay, and our web producer is Sarah Erickson.